0: interesting because you know obviously i make the bar and girasole wines but i make wine for a whole bunch of other people too and that's Mm -hmm. something that you don't really hear about because it's sort of incognito you know it's clients that you know that are on the store shelf that i can't really you know say oh yeah i made that you know because that would probably tick them off a little bit but (laughs) but we all help together you know so we we are we make wine for a lot of other people that nobody knows about so, so you're
1: like a ghostwriter, but like a ghost winemaker a little ghost bit wine Yeah, that's, that's
0: it that's right
1: welcome to the swell suite everybody so that's part of our conversation with randy meyer and that was before we started to record randy meyer is a winemaker but he's a special type of winemaker as you heard listen to his full story here don't forget to subscribe like, share, the- let us know what you think. Cheers. Glennis, you want to bless us? Welcome to the Squirrel Suite, everyone. I got the mic. to <laughs> Welcome
2: everybody here. Our faithful listeners and our new listeners. Pleasure to have
1: you. That You're was like- so cute. You're welcome. That's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> that was wonderful. How was y'all weekend? Ooh,
2: man, it was busy and I got to get you ladies out. So the ladies of 12 days of Christmas we had our um summer away, oh. the party with a purpose for the kids um raising money and we did our shopping um for the kids old navy's a sponsor so they closed down the old navy store out in Largo mm-hmm. off of ex yes. 17. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. They
2: closed down the store. For us for about four hours and wow. we shopped we had a little get together reminisced about the party what the proceeds we made uh, we some of the gift cards were given out we each got three hundred dollars to spend for children in the dmv so it was wow, excellent awesome. um a great great time raised quite a bit of money so that is great
3: um i actually went to virginia wineries this weekend what oh wow. I I went to Walsh family oh I love Walsh Winery. it's beautiful it was mm-hmm. a very nice it's it's kind of funny being on I actually took my own wine tour and um a, a friend booked the tour and she wanted me to go which is kind of funny it's like I don't know it's weird it's weird being it's on the other being side. Being, it is weird. It is very weird um, being on the other side and trying not to um, interject. <laughs> yes, yeah, and control the situation. Um, but I very I, I i did the best that I could, and that's all I can say. <laughs> um, but we went to Walsh and we went to Castanel and it was a very beautiful both very lovely vineyards, different expressions of, um, how they make wine, but it was both very nice. Interesting. Any favorites, any standouts? Walsh had this amazing Merlot. Hmm. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. You don't hear people talk much about Merlot, but Walsh had an amazing Merlot and a, um, and a Chardonnay. Interesting. So do they grow their own grapes or do they buy the must? They grow their own grapes. Okay. And um, Walsh uses several different um, vineyards around the state of Virginia. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that's interesting because then you you have very distinct flavors, mm-hmm. especially, it, it, which I, and Randy can speak about this like vineyards that are literally like right across the street from each other but the fruit is so different and um you could see that in um in the wines that they had
1: well I survived Beyonce this weekend I was at the Sunday show in all the rain oh all boy. of the rain Whoa. wow I, I I've, I've never I've never had this experience before it was wild <laughs> Let me tell you what saved me. So me and my friend got there super early. The doors opened at five. And I mean, it's a stadium there. There are drinks and there's food. I was like, let's just go early. It's going to be really crowded. So our seats are a little high. (laughs) So let's just go chill, whatever. So we got there early. You know, we people watch. I mean, the outfits. I mean that was entertainment yeah, in man. itself. So, but as we were getting food and drinks, we were not should food. not be
2: trying to be Beyonce. Oh well. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I did <laughs>
1: not. So, um, long story short, we were there for about an hour before this alarm started to go off and they were telling everybody to report to the ramps. So I was like, well, I that's probably not for us. I don't know what that means and it was no rain yet. But they have something. They have like they get notification if they see thunder or lightning oh, or thunder. coming. Yeah, coming near. So I was like, oh. Um so we were on the ranch for like I swear like 10 minutes and it was a complete downpour. And I was like, oh no. Oh no. And so everybody was like it's going to pass by. It's it's just going to pass by. Now. <laughs> let me say it passed by like 20 times the entire night it stopped and then it'll pour and it'll stop and but at least we got through the show she performed her tail off um yeah it was awesome it was it was absolutely awesome
3: so sarita my parents don't live too far from the stadium uh-huh and they lost power friday night uh-huh and they um Allegedly, reportedly, they said it was a tree that had fallen. So the next morning I was over at my parents' house. They still didn't have light. And then and my dad was like, That Beyonce, she blew out our lights in the neighborhood.
1: Uh let me tell you why. That's probably not true because Beyonce brings her own power. When I tell you there are trucks okay. of power for her, because we don't even mm-hmm. have enough power to serve that.
3: But right
2: that's so true he
3: brought her own power um, um, i can't wait to tell him that because i'm like <laughs> i'm like i don't think so he was like no that beyonce and i i tease him i'm like well just call up tina and um oh my god, talk, talk to tina because you know they're from the same small town Oh, uh, okay okay uh,
2: but uh, yeah so
3: because beyonce is the last name is the family right. last name and i'm like just call your home girl up and tell her exactly oh, next name. time call your home girl up and get us some <laughs> okay
2: can we raise a glass of barra to yes. beyonce spit, donating like 100 to 200k to metro hmm So the fans could so the it would we'll stay open later. Yeah. And the fans could get home. So
1: yeah. Cheers, to cheers Beyonce. Beyonce. Cheers, cheers. to B. <laughs> B. one more, one more shout out. So I do have braids. Uh I do have braids now. Um they look and feel very good. Um I went to Nadine's in Bowie. The the Nadines in Bowie that went viral on TikTok because they finished braids in two hours. Two to three hours. Mm. So, and they open at four a.m. Open at four a.m. So, is it two people working on your head? Two girl, two, two more? or more. So they rotate Ooh. it. I don't know how many braiders were in there. It was maybe close to fifty. So I got there at around five, and they don't take appointments. You just walk in. Um, I got there around five a.m. I was like, it's it's so early. Nobody gonna be in there. Place was packed. I went on a Wednesday. I went on a Wednesday. Um, I was in the chair at five eleven. I was in my car at seven eleven with these braids. No lie. What? So, if you're looking for some, oh, this we giving back, a
2: shout out to braids, <laughs> Vivian's <laughs> and just
1: trying Bart. to figure out how
3: they make like, money.
1: Uh, I mean, they charge.
2: They're making money because of the volume, because they're turning people over uh, yes. at every two, two, three hours. Yeah. So you know, one person's not sitting there for eleven. Yep. That's just one head for that one price point. Yes. Right. The volume mm-hmm. of heads that they're doing. Also, so, um, let's the lady.
1: We are ready for our special guest. Randy Meyer. Yes. Winemaker. Yeah. Ghost winemaker. <laughs> Welcome to the Week. water
2: maker. Welcome, Randy.
0: Thank you, lady.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, that's what's in my glass too. Mm. Ah, I, I drank that. Oh, I am the Zen
2: down. I, I felt it, Randy, I felt it. It was kind of warm, and I wasn't in a Chardonnay mood because I had a slice of pepperoni pizza. Mm-hmm. I said, you know what? I'm going to have the pinot, the reserve. So my question, before Samita starts putting you through school, um, <laughs> very, what was the story? I. It's very seldom that I see a, quite a bit of space between the cork and the actual wine, so when I took the cork out, I it wasn't tainted, It I mean, it didn't have any color on it, and I felt, I was like, wow, I'm so used to, it. is there some science behind what you do with this particular wine that you leave space, or, or is it in the bottling process that, that, that bit of air is not going to,
0: well, um, all, I, all I can hope, Glenn, is, is you didn't get a low fill, and that's, <laughs> you know let's hope you didn't but uh another thing that's interesting is notice how you know there's there's no no capsule and you know that sometimes can somewhat disguise the distance between you know the cork and the wine volume exactly. so you know that can be part of it and the one thing we thought about when we when we came up with this new package was okay you know we're trying to be you know organic we're trying to you know be sustainable as far as you know the packaging situation the the capsule is just waste unlike a screw cap you know where it's important to the functionality of the bottle and et cetera with the sugarcane cork that we use so we (laughs) don't get any cork taint the the whole idea was all right you know we're going to be bold it's going to look a little naked but let's just go no capsule because you just toss it anyway Mm -hmm. and that seems like a sustainably smart move to you know if we're going to migrate to this new package let's just can the capsule all together even though it would have looked probably very classy with we just decided it was just a better move you know with our organic and you know, trying to be more earth-friendly with the packaging. Let's just, you know, get rid of it all together.
2: Well, I will say it still tastes very good. This is your reserve. Yes. Is is it vintage or is it um, a mixture?
0: Yeah, Uh, it's vintage. So it's this 2021 vintage was up in Mendocino County. We had an incredible year, 2021, you know, low crop, concentrated flavors not too much heat so we kind of had a a bit of that holy grail of of grape growing conditions Mm -hmm. and that helped us you know really beef up the characteristics with as you guys know Pinot Noir is sometimes tough to grab a lot of character out of you got to dig it out it's a winemaker's Mm -hmm. wine and that 2021 just you know once we came out of the fermenter we're all oh wow we've We got a winner here, and it just it just turned out beautiful. It is, it is. I cheers. And and a good thing about this too is that it's 100% Pinot Noir. As 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 you all know, we'll tend to cheat it up a little bit. You know, our competitors do this way more often than they care to admit. Is to add varieties that you know give you the deeper color you know, kind of might disguise some weakness, but, you know, we were blessed with 2021 and actually 2022 that we just bottled. We didn't have to add any other, what I'll call non Pinot, you know, colorants to to help kind of beef it up. It was already beautiful. And I'm a bit of a an old school Pinot purist anyway. I don't, I kind of like to just let it express itself as is, because Pinot's sensitive too. You give it two, three percent of something else, all of a sudden it doesn't taste like Pinot anymore, anymore, where other varieties can stand up to 10, 15%. You know, other varieties blended in and still taste like what is on the label. Pinot's sensitive. It's it's not, you know, you can really tweak and upset Pinot Noir varietal character with anything even less than five percent. So this is a hundred.
2: This is beautiful. It is actually very good.
1: Very good. So speaking of um, purist, tell us about your Chardonnay because I know there are a lot of um, Chardonnay haters out there. This is actually beautiful. This is, it's it's wonderful. So tell us
3: about it.
0: I'm glad you got a chance to try that, Sarita, because I know that you had tasted our, our Girasole line right here mm-hmm. when we were together. Yeah. And that bar of Chardonnay is really a a true winemakers hands-on wine and it's made much more in old world burgundian style so we're we're barrel fermenting we are you know aging in about 25 to 30 percent new french oak it's 100 percent french i feel like american oak is a little bit too intense for chardonnay so i tend to kind of you know go the french route got about four different coopers that I like that I choose. And we have a new block of the Robert Young clone out at the home ranch on that, that map that I showed you back here. That is, you know, just terrific, wonderful, traditional Chardonnay profile. We do use malolactic fermentation on it. So that, you know, softens the acid gives you that maybe just a hint of butter but hopefully really low in the background and then the thing that i like to do is i like to actually leave this wine on its fermentation sediment the lees you know l-e-e-s for at least six to seven months because that's what gives you that layered texture breadiness you know kind of thicker mouthfeel that comes from the yeast cells dying so, you know, a little a little inside baseball here, but what happens is the yeast cells, a lot like sparkling wine, what they do is they, when they die, they break apart and that's called autolysis. And that autolysis, when the yeast spill their guts into the wine, it adds that kind of bready uh, characteristic that that wine has that almost mimics an oak-like character but it's a much softer mouthfeel enhancer and we literally stir the lees up and suspend them in the barrel for, you know, up to, I think we finished in probably June. So we went pretty far with it to get those kind of characteristics. And that's what gives that wine, the drinkability that you're, that you're liking.
3: Leslie, your Zinfandel? Amazing. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And I'm just impressed. It's so young. It's like a 2020. And um, it tastes like it has more age on it than it actually does. Um, and I was I was looking at it's 14.5% alcohol. So I expected my chest to be on fire, but it is not detectable at all. Um, now, I did, I had it. Chilling for a while, but even still, it 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 tastes like a, you know, a very well-aged Zinfandel. So I guess that all the credit goes to the winemaker.
0: Well, you know, Leslie, a couple little little tidbits of info on 2020. 2020 up here was hot. And when when it's that hot, what it does is it tends to create. A red wine that will age faster than when it's cooler. Because when when it's cooler, the tannin structure tends to be more like chewy, more developed, a little more intense. And in 2020, when you get kind of these big heat spikes 115, 16 degrees that we'll get sometimes, what it does is that the, the grape cluster will get a bit sunburned, just like us and when we get sunburned the you know we'll kind of just you know harden and scale over those berries and those berries will never really get to the to the true color and tannin level that you see when years that aren't as hot so you know what you've seen there is a wine that's going to age a little bit quicker just because it's concentration of tannin which is that chewiness and anthocyanin which is color they're they're all related those those compounds are a little bit lighter in 2020 and we saw that to a certain extent in 2022 when we had 117 degrees so you know we can handle 105 108 you know once we get to 116 117 you know, those bunches just, you know, they just like, ah, you know, help. And that, and that tends to be probably what you're getting there is just a little bit lighter profile due to 2020. I
3: don't even know how to formulate this question, but how do you determine when to harvest to protect the grapes, right? But you don't, but the grapes may not be fully ripened and have the right sugar level. So how do you how do you make that decision when you're dealing with the heat like that and the grapes are maturing at a rate that is maybe not beneficial in the long term?
0: Yeah, it's a phenomenal question. And it honestly is a question that that a lot of us winemakers really toy with and agonize over, I think we definitely just struggle to decide, okay, should we pick it? Should we wait? You know, what does it look like? What variety is it? So, you know, with Zinfandel, Zinfandel is is kind of a tender skin, so it can get burned up and raisin up. But another part of Zinfandel that gives it its character and, 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 and profile is some degree of raisins. Whenever I talk about Zinfandel, I always talk about it's all about raisin quantity and what kind of, you know, amount of raisins is the right amount to pick it. Because if you pick Zinfandel with no raisins, you're going to make the lightest, wimpiest, tired Zinfandel you ever seen. So whenever I'm out looking at when to pick Zinfandel, I really have to assess its raisin content because I actually want some raisins. So if you look at his Infidel bunch, you'll see kind of a light red berry, a bunch of real nice, ripe, beautiful berries, and some raisins all on the same bunch. Because it is just a wacky grape that, you know, was, has a lot of history in Mendocino County, and it can be tough to decide when to pick. But to get to the point on your question, it really matters what variety, what degree of sunburn, when did it hit? Are we at 18 bricks? Man, we know we can't pick it at 18. We're going to have to. I mean, we'll just, there's just, unless we add a bunch of concentrate, there's no way we can pull this off. What we do is we, you know, see how the vines survive the heat, see how the bunches survive the heat. We monitor all the time and we're out looking at it. And what happens during a heat event, too, we had this issue with a lot of red varieties, is the bricks won't move. So we had, in 2022 cabernet you know geez we must have had 500 tons of it that just sat at about 22 bricks which we want cabernet at 25 plus hopefully and it just sat and sat and sat every time i'd go look at it it looked the same the bricks would barely move and what happened was the vines were just pissed off and upset and stressed out and just stopped ripening until the very very end we got to uh, around halloween even the first week of november and we finally said okay frost is coming nights are getting cold we just need to pick it so we had some nice flavors and ripeness but the alcohol levels are only maybe mid-13s which you know for california wines that's actually fairly low for a red so, you know, especially since I've made Zinfandel at 16 plus. So the 2020 at 14 something is actually on the low side for Zin. Normally they're just, you know, they're butt kickers. They can be really powerful. So, yeah, it's a tough one. You know, those heat events, It it is, we're getting them more and more often. And we're learning how to prepare for them too, with how we deal with and grow grapes and canopies and things like that.
1: Um, My question is, um, one thing that I heard a lot when I was at UC Davis is how late this picking season is going to be. And the difference in the temperature in California is just so vast, like it'd get up to 100 and then really drop down to the 50s. How mm-hmm. does that affect? Um, How's that affecting you? How does it
0: affect you in the winery? Excellent question. I think the the first thing I would say is what we call that diurnal shift, which is that difference between hot and cold, is actually what helps Mendocino County be a really nice you know grape growing region because even though we get hot, we get cold. So we'll get down into the 50s at night, but we might get up to 95 100 so we could get almost a double in temperature that that you know y'all back east just really don't experience so we get that ocean influence that comes in and plummets the temperature at night and by doing that we're able to really kind of keep freshness in the grape and keep acidity and flavor that because the the central valley on the flip side they'll be 110 and 80 at night or were 155 so that makes a massive difference because the cooler nights like Russian River Valley, Carneros, South Napa, you know, Anderson Valley in Mendocino County, parts of our area too. Those cool nights are a blessing to, you know, grape flavor and grape concentration because that sustained heat just pulls out flavor and lowers acidity. It just makes them a little more mundane. So, Randy,
3: I know um, a lot of a lot of a, a vineyard success is a relationship between the um the vineyard manager and the winemaker and how long have you been working with your vineyard manager and 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 how do you um how do you start off every year and decide okay we're going to do this this year this is what I'm looking to do
0: that's you know really it, it's the relationship between vineyard manager and winemaker can sometimes be tense. And that is only because, you know, a vineyard manager's job is to, you know, grow a beautiful crop and who doesn't like to see a gorgeous crop hanging on the vines and thinking about all the money that might bring in yet, you know, we also have to, you know, kind of temper that with, you know, Hey, you know, simmer down. We might have to actually cut a few of these bunches off in order to get great flavor and, you know, in complexity and it's at times, it's just important to understand each other's, you know, goals and, and motives because I've definitely been, you know, part in, in situations where, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll butt some heads because of, you know, different kind of, you know, different goals, but, Great, great question. And, and, Roberto, our vineyard manager is usually very receptive to comments I give him with regard to crop load and, and oftentimes too, which I was kind of chuckling as you asked that question is the first thing is, okay, we screwed this up last year. What are we not going to do this year? You know, that can happen sometimes too, is we left too much crop out on this block. Let's definitely get out there and make sure it doesn't do it again. Because when, when you actually have a heavy crop, it's somewhat harder because it's when, when you're just looking at bunches laying on the dirt, you know, shriveling and dying because you had to thin it out, it's a tough call, but sometimes you just have to make it because if a vine doesn't have the power to get all those bunches ripe, you just are hurting yourself. So I, I, we always try to find that vine balance is the term you hear a lot. I've, I've made Merlot sometimes where if I thin it to three tons an acre, it just tastes like bell peppers. But if I crop it up to six ton an acre, it spreads the fruit out and, and the vine doesn't shove as much of those pyrazine vegetative characters into the bunch. So it's really key to, you know, everyone try to, tries to bang down on crop load, where I think Pinot Noir is one variety it probably does is legitimate and at times Zinfandel, but balancing crop to a vine's canopy and health is more important than just crop load alone. And that's something that I had to learn the hard way with, you know, over thinning Bordeaux varieties in particular, because they tend to be really veggie if you do it. But that relationship between vineyard manager and winemaker can't be understated. It's critical.
1: How do you manage making wine for so many different vineyards at the same time. Are you in one place? Do you have an assistant? Is there like an Excel spreadsheet? How do you do it?
0: Well, I have, I definitely like Excel oftentimes even better than the, the wine tracking system that I have. You know, some of the tricks I like to do is we'll use our wine tracking system and then I'll export to Excel so I can manipulate and and filter And it's just really helpful to be able to do that. You know, winemakers are at times spreadsheet jockeys. That's really the the game we have to play at times. You know, I have my two monitors. I actually have a beautiful panorama of Annapolis, Maryland from my trip on my computer. But, you know, it's, we spend a lot of time on the computer and it's critical because we're looking at numbers. I kind of, Sometimes I like to say that winemakers are a little bit like doctors in a tank as a patient during crush, because you go out to that tank, you taste it, you smell it, you take its temperature. OK, what's wrong with this? What do we need to do? We need to write a prescription for this. Does it need some DAP? Does it need some nutrient? Does it need some acid? You know, Do we need to aerate it a little more? You know, Each tank is its own little patient. And I think when we look at it that way, we're able to, you know, kind of compartmentalize a lot of the overwhelming degree of, you know, varieties, like I might have nine different varieties, you know, going at once whites, reds and all different forms. And, and I have an amazing production winemaker who went to Cal poly, which is another really good in San Luis Obispo winemaking school. So, and he has a lot of experience in this area. So I lean on him a lot as well. And then I have a lot of very seasoned, educated seller crew, you know, two of them women, which is amazing. I have a mother daughter that pull hose out in the cellar and they are complete badasses and I love them. So, you know, it's great because it keeps the guys honest. I have two daughters, so, you know, and I don't have any boys, so I'm, I'm pro woman. So I like to see the you know the girls get out there and you know lay the hammer down a little bit. You probably had them playing baseball too, didn't you Randy? I did. My oldest played 6 years of boys little league and I coached. She played shortstop and pitcher. So yeah, and then, and then she then she went on to play college <laughs> ultimate frisbee and college golf. So yeah, she's uh she's she's quite a little athlete that kid. <laughs>
3: I am so surprised.
0: Yeah. You you didn't you didn't embarrass her, Randy, did you? Um, my wife did. <laughs> Hollering and screaming and oh yeah. And probably more my younger daughter who played competitive <laughs> soccer. You know, that's why they remember they get out the lollipops, right? To shut up the parents. Yeah, a little bit of that happened. I tend to kind of hang out on the corner with the guys, you know, and you know talk shop or whatever and then all the girls are the ladies are in their you know nice comfy beach chairs yelling and hollering and the girls just hate it you know shut up mom i bet you had a
3: a, a spreadsheet for who had snack
0: duty when i was coaching i did uh-huh. i did i had my lineups all you know Spreadsheet it out. That is exactly. That is so funny. Who's got <laughs> what mom's got snack? I better let her there know you go. If she screws up and doesn't show up with snack, the kids are gonna be they're gonna be beside themselves. Oh yeah. It's all of that. <laughs> yeah. Those are the good old days. Now they're 27 and 25, and I don't know what happened. I snapped my fingers and that was it.
1: Yes, I was scrolling through your Facebook and you and your family are, are adorable every
0: picture oh, is like a postcard you. it's very cute oh no that's and we have we're all in a kerfuffle because we have my oldest sarah's big graduation party this saturday we're gonna have about a hundred people at our house you know family friends my wife's from a gigantic portuguese immigrant Azorean family so you know it's it's uh it's pretty cool she speaks spanish portuguese english she kind of looks as I don't know, like a total freaking American whitey, but trust me, she's not. She's, she's definitely, uh, you know, as Portuguese and spicy as they come. So, and it's, that's what makes it fun too, you know, cause we have a lot of cool, you know, you know, we have a lot of Hispanic married into us and Portuguese. And so it'll be, it'll be a wild weekend for sure. We're, uh, you know, getting all prepped for it now.
2: I'm bringing out any cellar wines
0: heck yeah yeah it was actually just kind of digging in it was funny because it's great you asked because i had i have underneath my stairs it's kind of where i keep my wine collection because it's the coolest place in the house i don't have a nice underground or the big expensive you know wine fridges you know the big s- stacks but under underneath my stairs is the coolest spot and I went and basically labeled every single, the end of every bottle with little round little stickers. So I'm going to dig into some stashes. I got some amazing Australian reds I want to kick out. I've got some 2017 Petite Syrah from Barra I want to bring out. So, you know, I'll I'll definitely bring out a few gems just, you know, early on, right, before everyone's waxed up and doesn't care. And it's always, you know... Here's yeah, you you you're in your seventh or eighth bottle, then you decide to open that one that you know is worth about a hundred plus and you don't even remember what it tastes like. <laughs> any exactly. Portuguese wine? Um, I actually don't have any Portuguese wine sitting in my cellar, which I'm embarrassed to say because here's another thing that I learned coming back back east to, you know, to to Maryland and and Virginia and DC is that the the European and international wine appreciation is way more educated and and legit than it is out here. We tend to be kind of homers. You know, we're all drinking our own wines and and we don't expose ourselves enough to amazing European wines and I, and it, I, I'm not proud of it, but it's just kind of the way it is so i i I need to i need to grab a few good crisp portuguese whites because i know they're just delicious i've had some so you know i might have to head out to our local little wine shop down the road from my house where all the girasoli and barra is sold and and grab a few from because they have a this wine shop is nothing to speak of it but it's they got the best wine selection ever i feel like it's just this industrial building that you know, gets full of dust, but boy, you can find some good sauce in there.
2: Nice. So what time should we be at your house? No, I'm just kidding.
0: Yeah. Fly on in. Uh, you can make it still starts at two 30. You won't have any jet lag. You'll be fine. We'd love to have you.
2: Oh, I wish I could get on another plane right now, but woof.
0: I know. Sarita's probably like, ah, I've been over to the I've been to the West Coast for a couple of days. I'm good for a while. Oh, that wasn't nearly fly- enough time. Were you Sacramento? Is that where you flew in? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That daughter lives in Sac.
1: I have a question. So you work under Redwood Valley Cellars, and that <laughs> is the facility that makes all the wine for the different uh brands. And Garisole- so Girasoli and Barra are the two that you can claim as the winemaker. That's that's right, that's right, so
0: that's it. So we have, you know, Barra family, which is Charlie Barra, you know, the old patriarch of the family who passed away in 2019. And Martha, uh, his widow, is still a whippersnapper at 81 years old. She's here all the time. So I, you know, work with Martha and her son, Sean, And her daughter, Shelly, who you might have talked to. And Shelly's on the marketing side and Sean's on the production side. So, and Martha, of course, you know, wields the hammer. (laughs) So, so yeah. So, you know, and Martha and I get along great. You know, we really enjoy working together. You know, all have mutual interests. And, you know, the Barra and Jira's, the Barra is our top of the top. So when I, when we crush our 850 tons and make, you know, as much as 20 different lots, I get to go through and, and, you know, I don't want to sound chauvinistic, but we get a beauty contest. So we get to line up all these wines and essentially categorize them and pick the best of the best, which goes to Bara. That's the best of the best. And then what I would call our A minus wines, go to the Girasole line because it's more affordable, higher volume and meant to be, you know, the drinkability just a little bit easier to drink, sometimes a little less tannin, maybe just a hint more residual sugar, you know, just adding to that drinkability, all screw cap, you know, easy to travel with. So, you know, get the bar, gets barrel aged, you know, Expensive French oak budget, and just just gets the kid gloves. So, and it's maybe maybe three thousand cases, where the Girasole can be you know up to twenty thousand. And it is you know the Jerez is distributed in Maryland, Virginia, and D.C. And then we have to finally figure out what we're going to do with the bar. It's so small. We're worried that if we you know open up a big market, it just might gobble up the inventory. So. You know, but I had a blast selling Girasole back east and because I'd never been back there. It was a great experience for me. Do you put the um
3: the vineyards on the label? Like which vineyard?
0: We tend not to mm-hmm. Leslie, only because sometimes we pick different blocks. I guess we could. It's not a bad idea. I'm gonna remember this. Cause you know, we have so many different blocks that we choose from. And you know I don't know if it just be you know TMI for people or whether they'd actually appreciate knowing that. You know I kind of have a bit of my go to blocks for the for the various bar line wines, and you know, I think, in a way, I sort of like to leave my options open. because yes. Sometimes one block may be better than the other, depending upon the year and the vintage you know hot cold health, etc where right now some of our, some of our better Pinot Noir vineyards are actually our newer plantings, which you think, you know, old vines would generally yield the better fruit. That's not always the case, because with Pinot Noir being as finicky as it is, when you really match, you know, clone with root stock and, and soil, even even the young vines can be just beautiful. And that's what you, in this 21, there's some young vines, and it's just making it inky, dark, and gorgeous. And that's, the older vines we actually didn't use just because it came out so nice.
2: So are we allowed to talk about your starting years at the bubbly brand? Why not? Okay, sure. just checking. Yeah, absolutely. No. I guess my question is, and it's I know some of the history, but not all of it. Um how it how was Corbell able I guess they predated the laws of champagne.
0: That's right. And that was, <laughs> I had to answer that question so many times. And, you know, especially if you were with a French person and they were just pissed off and annoyed with you, right. Can you imagine. know, so, so th- th- I would always try to disarm them by saying, you know, we absolutely understand your, you know, Disgruntlement with us using the word champagne, but also remember we put the word California in front of it and we had to be grandfathered in because we were founded in 1889. So, in 1889, you know, the French weren't as upset about us using the word champagne as they are in you know, 2023. So, you know, times were different and what we have done is any kind of new branding or anything that's not corbel would use sparkling wine in the language corbel has that grandfathered uh permission to use the term champagne and you know am i a big fan of that mm, not really you know yet i also understand that the american public you know, identifies well with it, you know, and it and it tends to be what I think a, a, an amazing sparkling for the value. And it's method champenoise fermented in the bottle, disgorged, dosed, you know, corked, wire hooded, you know, all for a very affordable price compared to, you know, our other method champenoise competitors. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's a few others of my absolute favorites, Rotorer being one of them and they're right here in Anderson Valley. So, you know, I, I certainly wasn't a complete homer. You know, I I would like a lot of the other ones as well. But, you know, the word champagne is simply Corbell has permission to use it and they just use it for their branding purposes. And, and, and you know, it's just something that's worked for them for, you know, gosh, over a hundred years.
2: So does oh, okay. Corbell I'm sorry, Leslie, but in this line of um, questioning, does Corbels use the traditional um, champagne grapes, char- yes. Chardonnay, um, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Meunier?
0: Yes, yes. So we might not get a lot of Pinot Mounier, but we do. If you can find what's called Corbel Natural, it's a green label. It's not as easy to find, but if you can find it, I recommend you buy it because it is Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and perhaps Pinot Meunier. If we can get it, we actually don't have a lot of that. It's hard to find Pinot Meunier. I was going to say, can you get it here? But you know, can you, can you find Corbel natural on the East coast? I think it'd be worth the hunt because I'd love to have you give it a try and, and put it up against some of your competitors that you love and comment on it. And of course, you know, you all have my contact information. So, you know, hit me up, you know, outside of the podcast and let me know because it is a wonderful, and it's usually a great value, you know, compared to Rotorer or Mom Napa, Chandon, you know, all the other guys that are making American method champenoise, Jay, they do a great job too. Do. So, you know, a Corbel for the value is is a good deal. I mean, that's, you have to look at its its price versus value and I've always found that 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 helps it compete. Interesting.
2: Is Carvel the, the only one that is grandfathered into you champagne or are there others?
0: You didn't, there are others.
2: Okay. Okay.
0: There okay. are others. You know, I think okay. I think Cooks has permission, I think some of the Gallo brands have permission. You know, it's uh yeah, there's hmm. there, there's a few out there.
1: Corbelle Natural
0: is at Total Wine in Laurel. Is it? Okay, It's great. Yeah, and it's vintage dated. So it's, you know, it, we had the most fun making that. And what we always would do is, is have group taste with the ratio of Pinot Noir to Chardonnay. Because each year, kind of like making a red blend, you know, each year the Pinot Noir and Chardonnay strengths can be a little different. And the percentages may vary to make the best cuvee so and usually that will be on the back of the label but you know tends to be 60 40 70 30 you know it's 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 a really fun one and if you can find it i recommend you you grab one and i don't know if this is myth
3: but i had heard unverified that um when the french had decided that this was going to just they were going to capitalize on the marketing of the name champagne that it was also during United States prohibition. So we technically weren't making sparkling or legally anything. So we didn't really pay attention to their prohibition and their their mandate. And when after prohibition was over, we just Continued as normal, and so we just continued to use the name Champagne because it really, we had missed that whole portion there. Do you know if there's any truth to that at all?
0: I think that is true, and I think what an, an interesting tidbit about Corbell during Prohibition is they actually made cigar boxes out of all the redwood trees that are out on the Russian River during that time. So they actually converted to a cigar box manufacturing company and, and the nickname in Guernville is Stump Town, because there are, you know, old growth redwoods that, you know, were unfortunately cut down back then. But that is when you go out to Corbell and if next time you come out to California, it's, it's worth a drive out there. It's all in the redwood forests. And so they essentially you know, created their own ways to stay afloat. And I think they were making other, you know, non-alcoholic products to stay alive during prohibition. But uh, yeah, it's, I think you're absolutely spot on. And they just, you know, once once prohibition ended, they just kept right on, got right after it. Party time, roaring 20s.
2: Woo, I would have loved to go back in time and be in that
0: that must have been crazy huh exactly i agree (laughs) glennis it must have been something else
2: the fashion all of it oh my god yeah
0: they were living it up looking for
1: somewhere to advertise consider the Swirl Suite podcast. Yep, right here. The Swirl Suite is now open for pre-roll advertisements, mid-roll advertisements, or post-roll advertisements. Some of our packages even include a social media shout out. If you're interested in sponsoring one episode or perhaps more, simply email us at swirlsuite at gmail.com. Cheers. All right. So this part of our show, we're just going to do a handful of this or that. Um, and the last question is just for you, Randy, but, uh, we all can answer the first four. Okay. Here we go. Start work late or leave early.
0: I'm a start work later kind of guy. <laughs> and then I'll stay a little later. Start early.
2: Yeah. I'm going to start early. Get off early.
1: Yeah. Same.
2: The early I start, the early I can get out of here. So.
1: Yeah. Same for me. Okay, next one. Animals or people?
0: My wife will kill me, but I say animals. <laughs> <laughs> and my kids will be proud of me. <laughs> <laughs> We're total dog people. It's, you know, we can't help it.
2: Oh, I, Randy, you have to understand have these questions. We it just—it's like <laughs> scratching on a chalkboard for me because it's so multifaceted. Depends if it's a cockapoo, I'm gonna take the cockapoo. But other than that, other animals, I can do without them because they just be
0: so. Yeah. I'm,
2: I'm gonna go with people. I'm gonna go with
0: people. Yeah. I can <laughs> tell
2: them to get the hell out
1: of my house. <laughs> I say
3: people. I'm a, I'm a people.
1: Okay. Okay. So, my answer is a little layered because, so I don't know if y'all know this about me. I don't know if anybody knows this about me, but I do now. <laughs> I'm really into Shark Week. So, I've been watching like a boatload <laughs> of shark videos, and I just found out that killer whales have been killing sharks in South Africa. And so killer whales, it's just like killer whales, it's it's humongous, but it's just big black and white. how do they kill them? Well, they are smart as a whip. What they're doing is they are, if you flip a shark on its back, it goes to sleep and it can't move. So it's like paralyzed for a few minutes. So they travel in maybe three or four. So they circle the shark. The shark can't, you know, swim away. They hit, they hit the fin. Okay. The shark flips over. And then they bite the shark right under the gills to pull the liver out and eat it. What? (laughs) My mind. That's calculating. Right. Right? All they want is the liver. And I'm starting to see that they are eating like other small organs, like the heart and stuff, but they know exactly where to bite the shark and get the liver. So you got all these sharks being washed up up shore with their organs. No liver. Yeah. So this week wow. I'm going to pick animals because I thought that was crazy.
3: That is, <laughs> that is crazy. Dang. Killer whales Those are very smart. Nature.
2: They're very smart. Yeah. I saw, a, I saw a documentary where a baby killer whale saw a boat and started making sounds so that it knew it was a research vessel. How the hell it knew that? I don't have a clue. It knew it was a research vessel. And the scientists on the boat knew that the killer whale was trying to tell it something. So it followed it. The mother was wrapped up in some type of fishing net or some Mm -hmm. type of debris. So they were able to get the mother out of the debris. The pack, like you said, they travel in packs because it wasn't only the um, one um, pup. They grow up and they call them something else. But anyway, it wasn't only the one. And they were so happy. They were making sounds and followed the boat out of where they directed the boat to. And I was like, mm. what? Crazy. So wow. that doesn't surprise me after I saw that documentary
1: yeah. about how smart they
0: are. And yeah. I, yeah, and I think that's why they're so popular in, you know, zoos and exhibits, because they're so yeah. smart.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next one: beach or pool?
2: Another one of those multifaceted questions. <laughs> because if the if I can't see my feet in the beach water, it's pool. But if I'm in the Caribbean, crystal okay. turquoise water, it's beach. That's my disclaimer. I'm sticking to it.
0: Glennis, well, I I was agonizing over this too. And I think you killed it because if I'm just sitting on a beach all full of sand and it's getting everywhere where I don't want it to get, that's no, that's no bueno. But if I'm in the water and I'm snorkeling or, you know, body surfing or jacking around in the, in the water, it's the best. Otherwise I'd pick a pool with a swim up bar. Bingo. Bingo. <laughs>
2: With answer. bar wine,
0: so go. you know, obviously I played both sides of that question, and that's probably yeah. a a ding. But no, I can't fine. help it; that's <laughs> just the way it is.
1: That's no, a very good answer. It's a very good answer, Leslie. What about you?
3: I'm going to agree with everyone <laughs> who preceded me.
1: The only reason why I would choose the beach is because of the sounds of it. Other than that, it's a pool, but I love the beach sounds, the waves, the tides.
3: We get you a sound machine or at the right resort.
2: You can hear the the waves from the
3: pool. That's true. (laughs) Right,
2: right,
1: right. That is true. (laughs) Seven mile
2: beach is full of.
1: Okay. Last question is for Randy. So I read an interview where you were on a golf course with a guy and he was asking you a bunch of cool questions and he said, all right, let's pair some characters with beer because you're a beer maker too. You brew. Um, So my question for you is what show or characters would you pair with Barrow Wines?
0: Oh man, I think it was funny because I, I believe we were we were talking about some seinfeld characters back in back in the day and i and i thought okay how would i pair seinfeld characters with any of these borrow wines and i and i did have to give that some thought and i got a few things for you see what see what the ladies think so i think elaine is definitely the chardonnay because you know a little kind of classy a little you know, kind of smooth, maybe a little bit uppity, but generally just, you know, has it together. And this wine kind of, you know, sort of ties that whole complexity, but vibrant and light. So I'm kind of, I'm gonna go Elaine with the Bar Chard. I'm going Jerry with the Pinot Noir because kind of complex, you know, sort of maybe a little highfalutin, you know, maybe a little bit of know-it-all, you know, Pinot drinkers tend to be that way. They all got opinions about it. So I was kind of, you know, kind of leaning toward Jerry for the Pinot Noir. And then you're gonna, you get a charge out of this, but who do I think matches with the Zin? My man Kramer, because it's a little wild a little powerful, a little unpredictable. You might end up drinking too much of it and regretting it and then throwing your golf clubs onto the ground and saying how much you hate golf and you can have these stupid clubs. That's one of my favorite line, <laughs> favorite little like snippets that comes from Seinfeld is when, when Kramer's like all excited about playing golf and he takes his clubs and then, you know, he's all fired up telling everyone how good he is you know, five seconds later, he comes barging into the door, throws the golf clubs in the, on the ground, on the floor, at Jerry's apartment. It's like, I stink. I hate this. You guys can have them. And I'm like, all right, I guess that can be Zinfandel for people because it can get a little wild when you crank down a bottle or two as Zinfandel. That's just the reality of it. And it's so fruity and inviting. That you don't know what you're getting into till about two thirds of the way, and you're like, wow, my legs aren't working very well. Especially
2: with it saying 14.5, and it may be a little more because it can't be more than 15%. That's
0: it. So it might even be 15 plus, and we're still legal. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but who's counting? Who's counting? <laughs> So yeah, that's that's my little uh, Seinfeld comparisons of Baras.
1: That was great. Those, if I were that's to choose great. characters um, for Bar wines, I think I would choose the same ones. That was great.
0: I agree. Cool, Rita. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, Randy, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Hey, it exactly. was a, a pleasure to be with you, ladies. You know, I I follow you. It's fun to listen to you. I actually like some of the non-wine chit-chat that goes on. A lot of people say you know, that. Just kind of, yeah, just <laughs> just you know, listening to the the ladies with you know your show interests and things like that. But it's a really a, a great pleasure to meet you and 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 you know I'm honored to to be on the show and thank you for having me. You are a great guest because
2: sometimes we have yeah. guests and it's like. <sighs> <laughs> <I'm->
0: <laughs> snoozy, that some snoozy I mean, white boy winemakers i don't know yeah it was like,
2: it, i mean it'd be like oh my god I'm, I'm so sleepy i just worked nine hours
0: okay but no. you, you were great be, you, you were great
2: fabulous it you, great,
0: exactly. you gotta you know you gotta be fired up and you girls are fun to talk to too girls yeah. ladies oh, it's man. been great oh before you go
1: tell everybody where they can follow you and your wine brands
0: Sure. so it's, uh, you know, Instagram. We're pretty active. You know, that's at girasole Vineyards, and then we have, of course, the Barra of Mendocino. So there's a little bit of overlap on those Instagram pages, but uh, you know, certainly check those out. And then if you want to check out some family shots, I'm at R Meyer 63. You know, I don't post all that often, but if you want to definitely follow the wine side. That's Girasole Vineyards and then Barra of Mendocino. You know, I'm I'm more of an Instagram person myself. So I would recommend checking those out and we'll be, we'll be putting in some content when harvest comes and, you know, getting things going so you guys can check out my mug and see what we're doing and, you know, get some loads of grapes dumping and see what's happening. Excellent. That's great. We'll have fun with the family.
3: Yes.
0: Yes. And man.
1: congratulations to your daughter.
0: Thank you so much. I'll I'll post a couple photos from that because I know it's gonna be our parties, yikes. They tend to be <laughs> they tend to go a little late. We gotta go tell our neighbors. <laughs> ah, always More invite the neighbors.
1: Always
2: yes. invite the neighbors.
0: Yeah, yeah. We <laughs> might have to invite them, even if they don't come, at least they got invited.
1: There you go. Right. That's yep. it.
0: So when midnight rolls around and it's still thumping. They don't call the cops. (laughs) You might want to
2: send them a bottle too. Oh, I can.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's, and I have done that and I am certainly willing and able to do it again.
2: There you go. Well, best wishes to your daughter and thank you for sharing your time and knowledge with us today.
0: Oh, it was great to speak to you all I look forward to my next trip back east now which what cities are i know sarita's dc but where are the rest where is uh, leslie and glennis where are you ladies at silver spring maryland okay sure and i where's that relation to baltimore
2: about 45 minutes, depending on traffic. I, to, you know, I got a lead foot.
0: Sometimes I do it in 30,
3: but that's not. Oh,
0: you and right, the others I drove with. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's east of Baltimore.
0: Okay. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty it's out there. Baltimore. Out there. Is that a little bit out in the countryside or? No, I, mm-hmm. actually
3: I am. I guess
0: northeast is where the countryside was that I went. Mm-hmm. You go to Frederick.
3: Bit. Is that where you went? Were you in Frederick?
0: Gosh, I was almost to almost You're, to Delaware, way up kind way of in up the north. Okay, oh,
3: north. you were like um there's actually a place called North Maryland. Um, um Hartford and
2: Hartford, yeah.
3: Or yeah. where's old Westminster? Where's that going it's, up Westminster. West West. But that's it's that's going West. closer to the Pennsylvania side. Yeah. He's oh, okay. He's he's on that almost um going up north and almost on the eastern shore
0: the northern oh, part would it be like, like hover de grasse is that a yes it Harvard is, is Harvard that right did i butcher that mm-hmm. yes. yes and then i went all the way down to Lusby too for a one you went to dinner. Lusby, yeah
3: you were in southern maryland wow.
0: yep all the way down there we sold a, 20 cases part. in one night whoa wow. pretty cool okay I love wow. Maryland. It's beautiful. Yeah. And wow. it's so and diverse. It's, it's so did diverse. you stay
3: in Annapolis?
0: Uh, just, I was just there for the day, okay. but I got to cruise around, have some, have some lunch and see some sights. Just beautiful. Beautiful. Did you get some
2: Maryland crab while you were
0: here? I did. Okay. I did. And then what's funny is I took some Maryland, uh, uh, blue crab recipe and i made some dungeness crab cakes with the old bay seasoning and everything here at oh, home
1: because nice. my
0: wife's family has they they uh they own the uh tides fishery at bodega bay so we get the dungeness out here so i actually had some so i had to try my hand at at a at a maryland crab cake
1: All it turned right. out dungeness pretty tasty.
0: Crab. Have to, i have to post those on instagram yes you right got
1: to post that, that sounds. Like and cool. there we go really well with your Chardonnay. day
0: oh for Ooh. sure yeah and i made them kind of like you know kind of thick like they do you know mm-hmm. they were pretty pretty chunky yeah big yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. And i love that old bay seasoning i cracked up when i saw old bay vodka
1: oh right i have seen that
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. oh yeah it I makes some... a
1: very good bloody mary
0: oh yeah That's i got old good. bay sitting in my little spice rack right now <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, Randy! So, Randy, So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. well, this was wonderful. That's too
0: funny. Well, thank you for your time. <laughs> of course, thanks for Randy. inviting me. Yes, cool. it was great. Yes, you have yes. a great right. Yes,
1: you have a great evening, Randy. Cheers. 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 Thanks for joining this world Suite. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button, leave us five stars, and leave us a comment. We love ratings. Also, be sure to follow all of us on social media. Myself at Vine Me Up. Glenn is at Vino Noir. Girl Meets Glass is Tanisha. Vino 301 is Leslie. And you can follow the Swirl Suite podcast account at Swirl Suite. The Swirl Suite is now a part of the Alive Podcast Network. This episode has been edited and produced by Vine Me Up Media.